Well, this morning uh, we're, we're in our, um, our values series and we've been moving along and we started by looking at God and his word to us and how we're uh, people who, who live faithfully to that. We don't just know it, but we live faithfully to it. And then what we did uh, was we looked at people who uh, have encountered the word of God and it's transformed their life. And in that they found Christ. They come together as a community gathered together in Christ. And then that community is, is enlivened and transformed through the work of the Spirit. And they're the three things that we've done so far. Uh, biblically faithful community in Christ and Spirit-led vitality. And this week we're, we're looking at prayer. But not just prayer like as in prayer, responsive prayer or uh, situational prayer like uh, praying for a car park or, or looking, praying for a cure to cancer sort of stuff. But prayer that is... Uh, relational that is a constant rhythm of life uh, for us fervent prayer without the um, r and e where we uh, live in a particular attitude of conversation and relationship with god that is sometimes private you know sometimes corporate a lot of the time corporate sometimes it's organic and spontaneous sometimes it's formal and liturgical but prayer should always be relational. And prayer should always be informed by Scripture. Prayer is where the waters of the pools of our lives are stirred and our affections for God are increased. Prayer is communication with God in worship. That, that's what prayer is. It's communication with God in, in worship. And there is no one really, I think if you were to go into any church, most churches perhaps, no one disagrees that prayer is an important component of the Christian life. You, you know, it's almost inconceivable to think of a Christian life without prayer. No one, no one sees it as unimportant. Um, oops, sorry, I'm... If you go around, I went and looked on a few websites around the place just to see what other churches thought about prayer. And I liked this one. Our lives should be informed and our lives should be informed by and marked by prayer. Our God desires us to seek Him and pray to Him. When we pray with confidence to the sovereign King, we bring glory to Him and joy to His heart. We want to be always prayerful people and a prayerful Church, I, I, I think most churches would, would ascribe to that kind of thinking. Why is it then that for most of us, and I, I include, uh, when I say us, I mean me as well, like, and I don't mean that kind of like to say, oh, he's just you know, being trite and, and saying this is not really about us and, and, and not about him, but about all of us, myself as well, why is it, given the centrality and, and the necessity, necessity of prayer, why is it that we, more often than not, our prayer life kind of looks like the disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration that um, Nick read to us this morning. There is Jesus. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he's in his about as glorious as he's going to get in his human body, 
and they're sleeping. And then, and then the disciples in the garden. Here's Jesus dealing with the most horrific moment of his life and he's pushing into God and saying, more of you and, and less of me and his disciples are sleeping. It was just an observation that I made from these two passages. I couldn't help but notice on two of the most important occasions in Jesus' ministry in his life, his disciples, when he's calling them to prayer, are sleeping. Why is it that I can sleep when I should be in prayer? And do you know what the answer was? Or the answer I came to this week and it did some violence on me, it was this. I don't love God as I should. Prayer is hard when my affections for God are small. It really is as simple as that. Prayer is dry when my life is consumed more by my needs and my circumstances than consumed with my relationship with God. So rather than, than coming away from prayer, like say you, Jacob, you know, Jacob who wrestled with God at Jabal, he wrestled with God and, and, and he walks away from that experience different and new and transformed or Moses who is in, in prayer with God all night and he comes down off the mountain and his face is so radiant they've got to cover it rather than walking away from prayer like that, meeting with the living God, doing business with God, interceding with Him in, in genuine uh, further before His throne of grace and, and, and prevailing with God and God prevailing with us in our lives and then we're left delighted and transformed rather than that, stay in bed for an extra half an hour to get a little bit more sleep because I need, I need sleep to, to deal with life. Or I get busy doing God's work rather than being with God in his work. I don't even get to prayer because my affections for God are not strong enough to pull me out of my toil for him. It's ridiculous. Because prayer was not given to us merely uh, for, our, for, our, for our needs and things, for, for car parks and, and, and cures for cancer, although... Those circumstances rightly push us to prayer and, and, and the urgency of that. And God, who is our Father, he, he waits for us to come to Him in prayer. And He's a good Father and He knows how to good give things and actually invites us into these requests and knows them before we speak them. We read that. However, prayer is the gift of intercession with God, the gift of of, of, of meaningful, deep relationship with God, first and foremost. What prayer is meant to do is deepen our relationship and our desire for God. But so often uh, our experience can be swimming in the shallow end of the pool, uh, in cliches or, 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 or selfishly running after God's blessing without running after Him. Fervent prayer is prayer that seeks after and desires God. Desires God for who He is. 
And then out of that, out of that relationship, out of that encounter, as symptoms of that, as an outworking of that, then what we do is we see and we feel and we experience God at work in our lives. Not because we've managed to manipulate Him, but rather that we've moved towards Him. You know, prayer changes us most of all. We're not trying to change God in prayer. Prayer is acting in our lives to change us, to conform us to His will, to, 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 to make us aware of who He is. Prayer is not meant to be a duty. Prayer is a delight because we get to talk to the living God. Jesus' disciples knew themselves, I think, what we might be admitting here this morning, that prayer, even though it is a beautiful gift, is hard. And while the Holy Spirit stirs up in us an affection for the name of God and, and to be with God, that has got to be cultivated in our lives. It's not magic. It's got to be cultivated in prayer and in Scripture. They're the two, they're the two feeders into spiritual life. The disciples had seen in Jesus a model for prayer. And so they come to him. They'd seen a delight and a necessity of prayer in Jesus that they liked. He was a guy who could walk on water, you know. He could cure illnesses. He could, he could tell the weather what to do. Like if he wanted to go for a picnic and it was rain, it was like, okay, I want some sun now. And he could do that. He could tell dead people to stop being dead. He could rustle up a meal or two if he's hungry. He can just kind of make food. Here's a guy who appears to need for nothing. Doesn't need a car park and he doesn't need to get an external cure for cancer. This is a guy who doesn't have material needs. That's why in John 6 we see they want to make Jesus king because, because he's just this fountain of goodness. He just can do anything. Let's make this guy king and we'll have no problems here. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, actually, I'm the bread of life, not my stuff, me. You chase after me for my stuff, but really what you need is a relationship with me. And Jesus, who needs for nothing, and they've seen it, constantly, constantly prays. What Jesus longs for and desires for is communion with the Father. He has a spiritual and relational desire to be with his Father. That's his need. Prayer for Jesus is a stream of to drink from, not a well to wish at. Often, Jesus retreats to lonely places, characteristically up on a mountain often, or he rises early in the morning to be with his father, recorded as praying all through the night in, in other spots. Sometimes he prays alone. Sometimes he takes friends with him. They fall asleep, but he still takes them with him. Here, we see in the humanness of Jesus a model for what our prayer life should look like. It should be driven by a desire to meet with God. 
and out of that, resource our decisions and engage with our environments. It's out of this meeting with God, in this conversation with God, then that we pour out our hearts and, and, and our requests to God. You know, Jesus himself did nothing important, nothing significant, without first spending time with the Father, just in relationship, just getting his tank filled back up. For Jesus' prayer was the active ingredient of life, lived in relationship with the Father, and it fueled everything he did. Jesus isn't exactly a guy in need like you and I, and yet he cannot conceive of life and ministry and anything without it being soaked and sustained in prayer. From, from out of the gate, from the Jordan to the desert to the cities and towns everywhere to the cross, Jesus is praying. And the disciples had seen this and they wanted to pray like their Lord. And so in Luke 11, they ask him the question, teach us to pray like you. And I think this morning as we come Together, we should ask the same question. You know, teach us to pray like you. Luke 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 1, and we're just going to go through to 4. And this is where we'll camp here for the rest of the morning. This is the actual passage we're going to work out of. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to there, if you're on an electronic device or whatever. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us, teach us, your followers, not just him, but this community of believers who are following you, to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we forgive, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Well, here we have from Jesus another model of prayer. He himself is a model, but here is Jesus giving us an instructional model, not a living one. We also find a kind of a lengthier version of this in Matthew 6, which comes out of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. But here in Luke 11, it comes about directly out of this question from his followers that, that Jesus would teach them how to pray. Jesus gives them a model then, kind of a skeleton, if you like, on which they can then add flesh to. This is like the founding architecture of prayer, uh, the bare essential structure, if you like, from which uh, prayer should expand out from and cling to. Jesus gives these prayers to his disciples, this, this structure of prayer, as a corporate uh, liturgical thing. So he assumes that they are going to come together. And when they come together, they need to pray like this. And even though it's given to them as a kind of a liturgy, that doesn't mean it has to be confined merely to that. But rather they are to think about these things thematically. On both occasions, Jesus has given his disciples not, not merely just a pattern or a model, 
but a theology for prayer, if you like, something to hang prayer on. And these themes should translate out into our corporate and our private life. The key is to be thoughtfully and relationally engaged, not just dutifully or diligently praying this prayer, just ticking the boxes of this prayer. When I was growing up, uh, about between the, somewhere around teenagers, I, I used to go to a little Anglican church in Yakindanda with my mate Lyle Garvey and we would roll into that church and sit in the second back pew and we would stand up at the right time and we would pray through uh, the Lord's Prayer. But it was just a dry, rote praying of this prayer. It meant nothing to me. There was no relationship in this prayer. But I could, I could say it and the priest up the front was watching me say it and he'd be like, oh, there's Mason in church again saying that prayer, good. But this is not what Jesus had in mind for this prayer. So what does he have in mind? Well, let's look at the first part. As we said, what Jesus... Am I going past my... Is there blue on that? Ah, cool. I'm looking at the wrong one. What Jesus firstly notes, and that we've said, is that prayer is to be a a normal rhythm of the Christian life. When you pray, when you come together, you will pray. As a church, you will come together. I expect that you'll come together, and when you come together, that you'll pray. It's corporate. That's what he has in mind here, community. Now, this has been a challenge to me as I've sat with this. I've looked at it and thought, this is Jesus. And he expects that his church will come together as a community and pray corporately together. Because how much of what we do here as a body of believers is soaked in and marked by prayer? Because Jesus says, well, you know what, about prayer, it should be the natural normative rhythm of your life, personally, privately, and community. You will come together and you will pray. Now, we offer opportunity for that every now and again. We've got some things. Obviously, you can do it in small groups. But, you know, Saturday, first Saturday every month, we mentioned it this morning, we come together as a church intentionally to corporately pray, and we will get regularly six or seven people. And Jesus is saying, when you come together, pray. And when you do come together, prayer is to be normative rhythm of the Christian life, When you pray, you are to address God as Father. Prayer acknowledges your changed relationship with God. Now, this would have been pretty uh, stunning to Jews to hear that they could address the transcendent God of the universe as their Father. Jesus had an intimate relationship with God to the degree that he called him uh, Father. Pater is the Greek. Pater, Father. But it's more likely, however, that Jesus, who spoke Aramaic, would have used the word Abba, a dear father, loved father, good father. The word expresses relational trust and love experienced by a child from its father. This is a word that, that, that talks about how a child lovingly relates to its good father. You know, daddy, father, trust you. That's, that's how we're to address God. Jesus, Jesus says, just as I pray uh, 
to the Father, so shall you. This changed relationship with God is the essence of Jesus' message, that you too can have a personal relationship with God. No longer enemies, no longer strangers, no longer at war with God. We've come into a relationship with Him. In Jesus, we've been brought near to God. We've, we've looked at that over the last few weeks. We have come into a changed relationship with Him. And now, like a child that comes to its daddy, we come before God to give and receive love in a safe environment. Now, some of us might not have a context for that. Some of us might come from our earthly context is, is, is a good father. Our context is one of an abuse, abusive father or an absent father. And so we don't kind of have that context. But here's the thing. In God, we find a loving Father. As we read through the Bible, we find a good Father. And what the Holy Spirit does is it warms our hearts with our affection for God to call Him Abba, Father. You approach the God of the universe whose holiness causes mountains to tremble, to melt into the sea, as your father. You are his children and he loves you deeply. Prayer like this tells us that things have changed between humanity and God. Our father. Because of this changed status with God, what happens in us is our our worship changes. Our worship now becomes properly directed to God. Previously, our, di- our desires were for God's things, you see. And, and our worship was placed on them. That's, that's where we got satisfaction. That's where we got deep meaning out of, out of re- earthly relationships, out of, out of work, out of, out of marriage, out of these things that are good, but they're not created to be worshipped. If you want to know what your heart worships, what is the obsessive quality of your daydreams? I'm going to plug into my daydreams. You'll see four drives and... Things like that. What does the, the soul chase satisfaction for? Those things have got to be killed off and replaced for a desire and affection for God. The Christian is one whose soul's deepest desires have found satisfaction in God and that translates to worship of God. That his name would be honoured in our lives. Hallowed be your name. That, that, that we would become living testimonies of his goodness. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Do you, you follow that? When our deepest satisfaction comes from God, he is glorified in our lives because the outworking is the relationship. Prayer is a means through which this delight in God is given an environment to be expressed. Hallowed be your name. Is the fervent, worshipful, glorious recognition of all that God is, has done and is doing. It is the making uh, holy of God, the ascribing greatness and worth to God that has been experienced in our lives. And as we come to the Father, we reflect on his goodness towards us And our response is to praise him. Now rather than fear, 
the holiness of God. We delight in it and we give thanks. Prayer is about worship and giving thanks to God for who he is. We don't try to kind of whittle him down and get him into a size that we can handle or contain. We simply marvel at who he is. And we seek the face of God and we delight in his holiness. Failure to pray is because we do not delight and marvel in in God and who he is. Well, this change of status, this change of relationship, this change of what we worship uh, sees us kind of give way to a new purpose in life. Um, our purpose is changed, our purpose in the present, our, our purpose for as things go along and, and how we understand what the future is going to hold, what the permanent experience of life will be. Fervent prayer that Jesus instructs us to pray is prayer that longs to see the saving rule and reign of God and his glory manifest more and more in the present, uh, in, in, in the life to come and ultimately in his kingdom to come. It is prayer for the continued work of the gospel in multiplying the number of people who would call God their father through, through Jesus, through a relationship with Christ. It is prayer for the multiplying of human hearts to live in joyful submission to Jesus as their king and, and that the Holy Spirit would transform their lives. We are seeing the kingdom come in the lives of people. And it's prayer that one day we would experience this grace in its fullness and its permanent um, encounter. It, it, it's longing for the day when, when Christ returns and um, establishes his full kingdom. It's a prayer for God to be God and us to be his people. And in that, his glorious character is made known through us, through transformed lives. We pray for the coming of God's kingdom. We are praying that the character of God, his name, would be manifest more and more in this broken world through those who have experienced his love and grace. We are praying that the church would be a faithful witness to God's character. And the question is, are we, are we true subjects? Are we living portraits of God's goodness? So far, what we have seen is that Jesus has given us a prayer that focuses on God and his glory and our experience of that. Now he moves to our needs, if you like. Having... Having come to God in prayer and reflected on his nature and his character, now we're kind of in an appropriate space to approach God about our own needs. Fervent prayer recognizes our dependency on God for each moment. This um, give us each day our daily bread has this idea of we are in unceasing reliance on God for provision of our spiritual and material needs. When we come to God in prayer, what we're not looking for is fuel economy. You know, like when you buy a car, you go, oh, how long? If I put some fuel in this car, uh, I fill it up, I'm going to get like it 400 kilometers out of a tank or 800 kilometers. You buy the 800 kilometer tank, the petrol tank of a Christian is like, I don't know, 400 meters. We're not looking to fill up so that we can drive for a long time without coming back into God. We don't want to fill up for a long drive and see how far we can get before we're forced back 
to the petrol station. God is not a quartermaster doling out uh, long-life survival rations. He's a river of life that you mustn't stray too far away from. You've you got to keep close so you can drink regularly. Daily encounters of God. This, this understanding of this provision of bread on a daily basis is not merely about the provision of food and material needs. What Luke has in view here is the daily provision of the experience of God's presence. Jesus himself said, not my stuff, me. I am the bread of life. This, a relationship with me, is where ultimate sustaining is found. God is concerned for our welfare, though, and our material needs. And that's why he is constantly inviting us to come to him in prayer and to seek his provision of both our spiritual needs and our material needs. You you see how this focuses, though, on our spiritual relational needs. Well, Jesus moves this prayer with respect to our, our, um, our vertical relationship to our horizontal relationships. It's been all about God so far and our relationship with him. In prayer, though, what we do is we recognize that this changed relationship we have with God changes the relationships that we have with each other. And our changed relationships that we have with each other then becomes evidence of the changed relationship that we have with God. God's grace in our lives working out uh, amongst each other. Our hearts melted and transformed by the experience of forgiveness that we have encountered in God leads us to be a community of compassion and forgiveness towards each other. There is no such thing as a Christian who can hold a debt over the head of his brother and sister in Christ. This is not to say that we, we kind of just excuse poor behavior. We don't. We demand repentance of sin for, for poor behavior. However, as God extends uh, grace to us in Christ, we extend grace to those who sin against us. And do you know what the logic is here? That if we who are just human beings... Uh, can forgive each other because of the presence of God in our lives, then our hearts can have confidence that the one who, who gives us this capacity, he himself is good to forgive us. God, who is perfectly good and supremely for us, will forgive us against our transgressions towards him because that, that, that's the origin, that's the source, if you like. Prayer is not simply about our individual needs or our relationship with God. Prayer is concerned for the welfare of others and the health of our lives together. Prayer causes us to reflect on how we treat each other in the light of how God has treated us. Prayer seeks to transform uh, our lives together and, and, and for us to grow in affection for each other and love for each other as we grow in affection and love for God. It's how it works. And finally, Jesus instructs us to recognize our weakness and our brokenness and to trust God for our spiritual protection. This prayer here at the end, if you like, is a summary of the whole entire prayer. It's a prayer that seeks God's aid, God's provision, God's working grace in our lives to keep us in a right relationship with him and with each other. This is a way of praying that says, 
Our heart's desire is that God be glorified in our lives and as individuals uh, and, and, and in a community. That his kingdom be manifest within us. That we are dependent on him to live out this life that we have been called into. Lead us not into temptation is not about immunizing us from, from the presence of sin, but rather this here, this lead us not into temptation, is a prayer that our affections for God be increased and our affections for sin be decreased. This is a prayer for the continuing of the transforming of our hearts. We are, not being, we are being led in this life. We are not being forced into anything, but lovingly led by the Spirit of God in the fullness of life. We are having our affections for God stirred up as we come together and recognize the goodness of our Father. His, his open holiness that we are invited into to experience. And as we experience it, we respond in praise. Hallowed be your name. That we, that we find that, that, that we are invited to participate in, in the work of God in the world. Your, your kingdom come. We want to we see your glory and we're active in that. That we live moment by moment in reliance on God's provision. And that we foster through prayer real and sincere relationships amongst each other. That's how... The people of God are to pray. This is the model that Jesus gives. Prayer is designed to cause us to reflect upon uh, the nature of God and his character, the nature of ourselves and our character, and the nature of the relationships that we hold with each other. And to stir up our affections and to fuel our affections for God in our lives and to stir up our affections and to fuel our affections for each other. Prayer is essentially designed to lead us into human flourishing and relationship with God and each other. And when we see God at work, it increases our hearts and we are stirred up more and more to delight in what he is doing. When Jesus gave this model of prayer, he gave a model that stirs up our affections for God. Uh, firstly, by by bringing us into to contemplate his character and then seeing that transform our lives and our relationships together. What I thought today is, as, we, as we contemplate this prayer, just for five minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. But it's not going to be me praying up here on your behalf, but us praying together in little groups or partners or whatever uh, with each other and using the structure of this prayer just to lead and guide that. 